had a great month studying praise and worship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 18 says, in everything. What a scripture, what a verse. In everything. That is really profound if you think about it. When was the last time you gave thanks for something negative happening? But uh, Paul to the Thessalonian church said, in everything. That's the test. That's the measure of where you are in Christ. Amen. Amen. Because let me admit it, it's not always in everything that I give thanks. My flesh wants to start to complain and groan and to tell God why. Why? I have so many people calling me up and saying, Pastor, but why? Why? You should not be surprised. The Bible said that we're going to go through some what? Fiery trials. Why think it's strange? Why do we think? That's the question. Why are you asking why? (laughs) Why are you asking why? Paul in Thessalonians said, in everything give thanks for this is God's will. As hard as it may seem, it is God's will for you to give thanks. And I explained this, that if you can do that, that's one of your greatest weapons. That sends Satan back to square one. He doesn't know what to do when he's just pulled the rug from out under you. And they're still praising God. They're still worshiping. Amen. And I gave some examples of that. Of course, in my mind, one of the greatest is David. Right? When his child died, what did he do? Did he start shaking his hand at God and saying, why did you let my child die? No, the Bible said he anointed himself. He washed and he went to the temple and worshiped. Can can you believe that? Your child has just died. What a testimony. That's why God said he was a man after his own heart. And we've been studying this month all about praise and worship. This, this week, we're going to go a little bit deeper. We, we really haven't gotten into the differences between praise and worship. We're going to look at that this morning. But I just wanted to go over this verse because it reminds us what we should do. In fact, we should stick that up on our fridge. We should put that on our front door as we're leaving because you know we're going to be facing some things during the day that will test us, that will want us to, to not be giving thanks but to be saying things or thinking things. But in everything, give thanks. The other great example is, what did I say? Who's the other great example who gave thanks in suffering? Job. Job. One messenger after another bringing bad news. The Bible said in all of this, he did not charge God foolishly. You know, we tend to blame God. Why did you let this happen? Why did you do this? Instead of asking, why am I not praising him? We may not understand it, but we have to trust him. Amen. So we're going to look in, in, in a little bit more detail. What does the meaning of praise mean? What does the meaning of worship means today? We're going to be a little bit more detailed. We've talked about how we can use praise as a weapon and how we should be thankful. But we want to understand truly the differences between praise and worship. And there are scripturally differences. So what is praise? Well, at its basic level, it's an expression of gratitude. Amen. When we come, we start to thank God. I know here today we we mix them up. We say praise and worship. But in scripture, they are a little bit different. Praise is an expression of gratitude. It's an acknowledgement and honoring God. It's, It's telling him thank you. It's lifting up his name. Praise has outward actions. 
And this is one of the main differences between praise and worship. Praise in the scripture, and in fact, Brother Jordan quoted the the very chapter I have in this lesson. (laughs) Psalms 150. And you'll see that praise is all about outward actions. It's singing. It's dancing. I saw Brother Joe dancing. That's praise. That's praise. I know we say it's praise and worship, but actually it's praise. Praise has outward actions. It is seen. It is demonstrated. And just to give you a little hint, worship, though, has to be something from inside. You may not see me worshiping. Indeed, you may see me up here and I don't look like I'm moving, but I'm worshiping. See, worship is something that comes from inside and is related to the spirit. But praise, you cannot have praise without outward actions. Praise comes from your lips. Praise can come from the dance. Praise can come from musical instrument. Psalms 149 verse 3, let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises unto him with the timbrel and the harp. So you see even from scripture that those acts of, of praise had an outward manifestation. You cannot praise him like this. That's not praise. Maybe you're worshiping, I don't know. But you're certainly not praising. Because to praise, it's an outward demonstration. Amen. That's one of the main initial differences between praise and worship. So we're going to look a little bit deeper on what is praise. Praise are specific acts. That means it's, it's something that is outside of ourselves, of honoring. And it can be words. It can be music. And as the scripture just said, dance. David did all three, right? He, he, you got, when you got David, you got all three. He was going to speak. He was going to dance. And when he got ready, he played on his harp. Amen. And that had an effect of driving away spirits. We discussed that worship and praise has this effect of ushering the presence of God into being. So Psalms 150, here it is. He took my scripture this morning. <laughs> praise ye the Lord. And you'll see that praise is all about with our lips. It's an outward demonstration. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. You see, it's honoring and acknowledging. It's honoring and acknowledging. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. You know, I don't understand some churches, but there are some churches that don't allow any instruments. I don't know how they, where they get that from. Well, I know where they get it from. They take one verse and they build a doctrine on that. There's a, a, a scripture that says, making melody in your heart. And that's, so they ban instruments from the church. Isn't that something? Their praise is highly deficient. <laughs> David would not be attending that church, for sure. Because he was one to get up out of his seat and dance. Even though he was the king, it didn't bother him because he knew where God had taken him from. There was a time when he was out just looking after sheep. But because he was a faithful shepherd, God elevated him to the kingship. So praise cannot be bottled up. You you can worship maybe inside, but you can't praise that way. Praise him for his mighty acts. Is there something this week that you can thank God for? Is there one thing you can remember that God... I can tell you one thing. He woke you up this morning. 
if that was all it was, you should still thank him. You're in the land of the living. Amen. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the psaltery and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel. Not my favorite instrument. (laughs) The Bible says play skillfully. (laughs) Otherwise, we're in the joyful noise category. (laughs) And that's okay, too, if that's what we're going to do. Amen. I I know I'm not much of a singer. I sing in the bathroom or by myself. But I do praise God uh, with my lips. Amen. Praise him with the timbrel and the dance. Praise him with the stringed instruments and organs. Praise him on the loud cymbals. Many years ago, my dad bought a pair of cymbals, and he was in here clashing them. He was worshiping with just the cymbals. There wasn't any music, but he was praising God. Now, I might not have found that musical, but I'm telling you, the angels were still worshiping. Praise him on the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high-sounding cymbals. You see, we have a whole bunch of different cymbals in there. Uh, Our drummer could tell you what they are. Let everything, there's no excuse. You know, um, where where we're living, about 4 o'clock, these birds start making all this racket. (laughs) And my flesh wants to shut them up. But you know what they're doing? They're worshiping God. Jesus said... If you were to shut up, the stones would open their mouth. Do you understand that? It is, it is upon us, it's incumbent upon us to give praise, to lift our hands, to be demonstrative. You cannot give praise with no outward action. That's the very definition of praise. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Brother Jordan took, took away uh, my, my um, exposition on this, but nevertheless, I'm going to still teach it. Now, we're going to go back to praise, but I want to now go back to worship to show you the difference. Worship encompasses praise, but it is so much more. Amen. Worship is not just an outward action, but it's an inward state. You have to be in a state of worship to really give worship. And we're going to look at that in detail. Its literal meaning in the Old Testament was to completely bow down. It was to completely go down on your face. That was worship, the definition of the word. It was to prostrate oneself. And so worship uh, in the Old Testament meant completely obeisance. It meant um, surrender. Worship was complete surrender. Psalms 95 verse 6. Let me give you an example of worship. Oh, come, let us worship. And what does it say? In fact, the song that we sing, bow down and worship him. You start to see the difference between praise and worship. Now we're supposed to do both. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And it's okay that we, we mix them up. That's fine. But I'm just telling you in from scripture what the difference is. So worship is something that really has to come from your heart. Because you can bow down with your outward body and really not surrender. Amen. It has to be from your heart. That's why most times now when I, when I ask for prayer, I say, let us bow our heart. You can bow your head and you'll be miles away. You're not really in worship. You're somewhere else. You're just following instructions. But true worship comes from inside. It's a surrender. It's a kneeling down. It's bowing down before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's an acknowledgement of who it is we're talking to, who it is we've come before. So let's look at some examples of where, in fact, this happened, where there was worship 
and not just praise. In the Old Testament, we see in Joshua 5, 14, uh, as he talked about them going to to conquer um, Jericho, that the morning or a couple days before that, Joshua went up into the hills and he meets this character, this, this soldier with a sword drawn. And he knows there's something special about this personage. And he says, Who, whose side are you on? Are you for us or for our enemies? And he says, neither. No, you have to be on God's side. God is not on your side. You have to be on his side. Joshua 5.14 says, and he said, nay, but as captain, in other words, as commander, as the top guy, as the general of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And what did Joshua do? He immediately realized that this was beyond just an ordinary angelic being. Joshua fell on his face. This is worship to the earth and did worship. You begin to get the difference between praise and worship. Worship has to come from inside. It's a complete surrender. It's a bowing down. It's an acknowledgement of who it is that we are dealing with. And said unto him, what saith my Lord? Unto my servant. He called himself his servant. He acknowledged who this person was. This is the beginning of understanding the difference between praise and worship. Let's go a little bit deeper. As I said, it's a reverence. It's a devotion. It's an adoration. So praise encompasses part of worship, but worship is so much broader. Because not only does it have an external, but it truly has to come from your inside. It has to be from your inside. Worship encompasses more than just what we do with praise. It truly has to come from our inside. Let's look at another example where Jesus gave a definition about worship. And this was the story when they had been traveling and they were really tired. And he came to the well uh, just outside the Samaritan town. And the Bible said, he being weary from his journey. Now, this had nothing to do with this lesson, but that gives me hope. You know who was weary from the journey? Who was it? Jesus. If Jesus can be weary from the journey, we we can be weary too. But it's important where you stop. Where did Jesus stop? At a well. See, if you're going to be weary on your journey, be, be careful where you park. Stop at a place where you can get refreshed. Jesus did not go into town with them, but he stopped at a place where it was possible for there to be refreshment. So you know the story. The lady comes along and they start to have a conversation. He says to her, I want you to give me some water. And she's looking him up and down because he's a Jew and she's a a Samaritan. And on top of that, he's a man and she's a woman and they have no dealings. And you know how the story went and he starts to talk with her and starts to tell her about, about herself and everything. And she realizes that this is no ordinary person. So let's read the, the point. John 4.23. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers, true worshipers. You know what that tells me? There can be false worship. There can be lying worship. There can be deceiving worship. It says, true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now, Jesus has given us some deep insight into the nature 
of true worship. It has to be what? In spirit and in truth. You have to have both. It's got to be through the spirit, by the spirit, and it's got to be in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Uh, uh, this great preacher preached this message, and it really hit me many years ago. He said, if you want God to find you, be a worshiper. Because he said, for the Father is looking for true worshipers. You won't have to try finding God. Just start to truly surrender, bow down, and worship. And he will come looking for you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? If when you become a true worshiper, God will come looking for you. The Bible tells us, for, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So as I've been saying, worship then is also a surrender to the will of God. Now I'm going to show you an example that you might not at first think was worship. But it's the story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac. And I'll show you that it is worship because Abraham says that's what he's going to do. In Genesis 22, verse 5, And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and what? What was he going to do? He was going to sacrifice his son. You know what he called that? So sacrifice can be worship. Do you see that? What he was, he knew what he was going to do. He said, we're going to go worship. So part of worship is also sacrifice. It's also giving. The lad will go on yonder and worship. And what is his last, what is his last four, five words? Now, how's that going to be possible? How's the lad going to come again to you if he knows he's going to take a knife and kill him? Abraham believed in the resurrection. That was such great faith. His very act of, of giving his son, he called it worship. Not only that, it proves he believed that God was going to have to resurrect his son. No wonder he, could, he, he had the faith. And in fact, in Romans 8, that's what it tells us, that he received his son as if dead. He did this as an act of worship so that 2,000 years later, the Heavenly Father could give his son as an act of worship. I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Now there's so much to point out in this. In the picture, you see that Isaac is no baby. And he wasn't. He was probably 17, 18. He was a strong, young man. Now, there's going to be a step here in, in doing this worship that we all kind of maybe forget. But at some point, Abraham was going to have to tie him up. Now, when they were first going up the mountain, it was very clear that Isaac didn't quite get what was going to happen here. Because he asked his father, well, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where is the sacrifice? Abraham, again, showing such great faith, he said, the Lord will provide himself the sacrifice. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that, he did not know exactly, but he had such great faith. First of all, that this was what he was doing was an act of worship. 
Secondly, that somehow his son was going to come back down because he said, and come back down again to you. The lad will go yonder and worship, and the subject is still the lad, and come again to you. Isn't that awesome? Nothing you give to God in worship is ever going to be lost. It will come again to you. The time you spend in worship will come again to you. Whatever sacrifice you give to God, it will come again to you. Because that was Abraham's experience. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Now, I want to show you another uh, story about worship. As I said, we clearly see that Abraham likens what he's going to do to worship. And we can see that at some point, although initially... Isaac didn't know what was going to happen. At some point, when they got to the top and Abraham said, okay, come here, I need to tie you up. <laughs> I need to tie you up. What I'm trying to tell you is that worship is surrender. Isaac at that point for sure knew he was going to be the sacrifice. He obviously could have fought his father. He was probably faster than he could have run down the mountain. But he was a type of Jesus. He was a type of Jesus. He was a man of peace. And he willingly allowed himself to be the sacrifice. Because, again, I wanted to point this out. He said, the lad, I and the lad. So there was worship on Abraham's part, but there was also worship on Isaac's part in the surrender. You follow what I'm saying? Because he could have fought his father. He could have, he could have but Jesus said, for this cause... Came I into the world. For this cause came I into the world. And so both of them worship. One in, in obedience and one in surrender. So worship is much broader than just praise. Worship has to be a made up mind. It has to be a determination. It has to be an absolute conviction of who it is you're worshiping. And why you're doing it. Amen. You may not understand every single nuance. But you have to have faith. Because worship in, means faith. Because you don't worship something you don't believe in. You have to have some belief and steadfastness in why you're doing it. And I want to tie this together with this act of giving, that worship also is an act of giving. After Abraham defeated the five kings on his way back, and after he had rescued Lot... And all his family and all the things that had been stolen. We have this strange scene where he meets this person called Melchizedek. And the Bible in the Old Testament doesn't give a lot of detail. It's not till the New Testament that in the book of Hebrews it's brought out that this was just not some ordinary person. In Hebrews it tells that he was without beginning of days nor end of life. And his very name, Melech, in Hebrew means kill, uh, king. Zedek means righteousness. His very name means king of righteousness. Now, you can't have that name unless you're only one person. <laughs> because otherwise, you're blaspheming. Amen. Hebrews 7.2 tells the story. And it says, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness. And after that also, king of Salem, which means king of peace. What he's explaining here, that this also was an act of worship. Melchizedek gave him communion, and Abraham gave him a tenth of all that he had. Giving 
is an act of worship. Let me prove that to you. In the New Testament, Jesus took a strange seat in the temple. It specifically says that Jesus sat by the treasury. He came and he sat right by the box. (laughs) What a strange place to go in the temple and sit. But he wanted to teach his disciples something about worship. And Jesus sat over against the treasury and started watching how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. There came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. Now, I don't know, in this country you don't have a farthing, but uh, where I grew up originally, they used to have a farthing, which was a quarter of a penny. And you couldn't really buy much with it, maybe some gum, if you had two of them. So this was the poorest of the poor. And he called unto his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor woman hath cast more in than all they which are in the, uh, that cast into the treasury. So giving, again like worship, is associated from within. It's not the amount, it's something of the heart. It is with the intent. She did this as an act of worship. It wasn't to draw attention to herself. It wasn't for any other purpose than she was honoring God. And God was watching her. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. Giving then, just as we saw in, in Genesis, Abraham called what he did, the very sacrifice of his son, he said it was an act of worship. Now, what is the other proof that this is so? Because how can I say that when it doesn't explicitly say that? Well, let me give you one more example. Where in the Old Testament did these acts of worship nearly always happen? In the temple. Why did you go to the temple in the Old Testament? What, was, what would be done at the temple? If you came to the temple with nothing, you came to the temple to do what? To sacrifice. I'm showing that sacrifice and worship are tied together because the very act of going to the temple, if you came to the temple, it was only for one purpose in the Old Testament. You were bringing a turtle dove. You were bringing a grain offering. You were bringing a lamb. You were coming for one purpose, to sacrifice. And that was an act of worship. To show you explicitly in the Old Testament, we see that when Jacob was running away from his brethren, from, from uh, Esau, and he lay down, he ran away with nothing, first of all. So he, 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 he didn't have anything much to offer. And he had this vision of a ladder running up to heaven. And he saw the angels coming up and down. And when he woke up, he said, this place is the gateway, is the house of God. And he named the place Bethel, house of God. And he didn't have anything, but because it was the house of God, he built an altar, a place of worship. And to show you what I'm talking about, the only thing he had with him was some drink. And you know what he did with the drink? Let's read it. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering. He made a sacrifice of what water or whatever drink he had and poured it thereon. So that was an act of worship, and it was at the 
Bethel, the house of God. Again, in Genesis 22, verse 2, at the start of when God was speaking to Abram, he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. Of course, he had another son. But he was the only son of promise. Get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for what? What does it say? Burnt offering. God told him it was a burnt offering. Abraham said he was going to worship. Do you see what I'm saying? That worship is more than praise. Worship can also involve giving. Sacrifice. Now let's go back to what Jesus was telling the woman when he really went deep into what God was looking for. Because the Bible tells us that those that are led by the Spirit, to them gave he what? Power to become. When you're on the journey, when you're being led, you're in the process of becoming. You're in the process of growing. You're in the process of getting where God wants you to. So Jesus told the lady, first of all, that worship, true worship, can only be by truth. John 4.20, let's go back. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. The Samaritans had been split from the Jews from the time the kingdoms split after uh, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, uh, was going to lay a lot of taxes. And because of that, the ten northern tribes split. And they set up their own temple, their own system of worship on a mountain called Mount Gerizim, which was one of the two mountains that God had told Joshua when they first came into the land that they were to do this special ceremony. I won't go into the ceremony, but it was on this mountain, which is not named in the scripture, but it was the mountain where the Samaritans worshipped. And now she was telling but you Jews say Jerusalem is the place to worship. But the truth is, what was behind the curtain in the temple in Jerusalem? No. The ark had been gone for hundreds of years. From the time of the Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed the temple, the ark had disappeared. So what was behind the curtain was either a fake ark or nothing. So Jesus now was bringing this point out. He was saying, it's not in Jerusalem either. You Samaritans are worshiping this temple where there is no ark. And actually in Jerusalem, there is also no ark. What she didn't know was that the true representation of who she should worship was right in front of her. Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you... What ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is. See, in Jeremiah, I think, 3.10, it was prophesied that the ark would disappear. It says they shall not remember it or, or come to it anymore. After it was captured, it disappeared. The Bible in the Old Testament predicts that everything that Nebuchadnezzar stole from the temple would be returned. But the one thing that was not returned was the ark. It's, it's disappeared. Now, you have all these people saying they found it in Ethiopia and all kinds of places. But let me tell you what the Bible says where the ark is. You have to go to the book of Revelation. And he says, I saw the heavens open. 
and the Ark of His Covenant. You know why? Because Hebrews tells us that that stuff was only temporary until the true representation of worship should come. It had to get out the way. Hebrews 9 says these things were only there until, until Jesus came. So God took away the ark because now Jesus said, destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to raise it back up again. Amen. You see, he was telling her, listen, actually behind the curtain there, there's either a fake ark or nothing. And in your fake temple here, there's nothing. Well, she didn't know. Listen, if you were to ask of me, I would give you living water and you'd never thirst again. And she says, well, you don't even have a bucket. <laughs> That's how our mind thinks. You, you, you don't even have a bucket. How are you talking about giving me living water? But the hour cometh and it now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit. What this reveals is that worship has to come from inside. It's not a place necessarily. You can worship on the bus. You can worship at work. I mean, in the Old Testament, yes, you had to come to the temple to worship. But now you can worship anywhere because when that, te- when that, when that um, curtain ripped apart, it was revealed there was nothing behind there. The temple, the real ark had been taken and was not returned because Jesus now was the real ark. Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father but by me. You can't get to him by worshiping a box anymore. You have to come to Jesus to worship in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit and they that worship him must, not maybe uh, can, it's not an option. You can only worship him in spirit and in truth. You know what this tells me? That you have to have the spirit either overshadowing you or with you to give true worship. You can give praise, but it's only through the spirit. Am I, am I misquoting this? God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You have to come to him with all honesty, with all dedication. It's a true surrender. It's saying, God, I acknowledge who you are. I honor who you are. Amen. It's a total surrender of self is worship. I want to show you in the New Testament another example. See, Paul was trying to evangelize and he went to Athens and he saw all these statues of gods. And he, he, was really, he was really sorry for the Greeks. You know why? Because they were seeking to worship something. All human civilization that they've ever found has tried to worship something. You know why? Because God designed us to give worship. No matter where you go, whatever ancient tribe, they always tried to worship something. And the Greeks, even though they were supposedly so sophisticated and, uh, and, and were philosophers... They too had all these statues of all these gods. And Paul was kind of shaking his head. In Acts 17, 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly 
worship. What he's trying to say and what Jesus said is you can't give true worship unless you know. The Bible says, how shall they know unless there is a preacher? And how shall he preach unless he is sent? Faith cometh by and hearing. See, he was saying the reason why you've got this statue with no name on it is because you're ignorant. (laughs) You don't know who you're worshiping. I've come to declare to you and reveal who this unknown God really is. It's Jesus Christ. That is the truth. And that allows you when you know who Jesus Christ is to worship in truth. If you don't know Jesus Christ, according to scripture, you can't truly worship. Now you can tear that page out because I didn't say it. It may not suit certain religions, but that's what the Bible says. That he, if you come to worship, you have to worship in spirit and in truth. Otherwise, you're doing like these Greeks. You're worshiping ignorantly. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. This was the point Jesus was trying to tell the woman. It's no longer a a building. Knowing not that you are the temple of God. And if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Amen. Then you can truly worship. Amen. Yes, we can give praise. But to truly worship, it's got to be with truth and it's got to be through the spirit. It says, verse 25, neither is worship with men's hands. You can't worship something that we built. No matter how glorious it is, it's not going to be able to compare to the infinite God. He giveth to all life and breath and all things. John 16, 13 says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You know, I think we are not living up to what the promises that God has given us. We're still so far from um, tapping into all the abilities and the promises that God has lined up for us. You know, because if we have that spirit of truth, and if we were in attitude of worship, and if we were in attitude of submission, and if we're in attitude of surrender, something would happen. Great things would happen. Great things would happen. Now remember what the scripture said, that when he comes, he will tell us all things. Now let's go back to the woman and see how what's happening here. If she realizes that he's telling her all things. <laughs> I don't know if you get it yet. The spirit of truth, when he comes, he will tell you. And then what did Jesus start to do to this woman? Tell her all things. I don't know if she she was following the breadcrumbs. It took her a while to suddenly realize who this man was. Then she ran. She ran. Come, come see a man who told me all things. Let's look at this. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ, the anointed one. When he is come, he will tell us all things. When the spirit of truth is come, he will tell you all things. What does Jesus say? I that speak unto thee am he. Mic drop, case closed, all over. <laughs> you can only worship Jesus with the spirit of truth, which is Jesus. He said, listen, lo, I am 
with you, but I shall be in you. John 14, 6, and I quoted this before. Jesus saith unto, unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man can come to the Father. Doesn't matter how you worship. No, you know, the, the prophets of Baal were carrying on. They were certainly trying to worship. They were whipping themselves. They were dancing. They were doing a lot of praise, but it was ignorantly to false gods. And you will get no blessing that way. But when you come to Jesus, you don't have to say much. The thief on the cross said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. That was his prayer. What a prayer. What a deliverance. What an answer. Because the spirit of truth then said, listen, today, not tomorrow, not next week. Today, today. Let's say today. Come on, say it like you mean it. Today, you can be in paradise. Hallelujah. When the spirit of truth has come, he will tell you all things. Now, some of the things, maybe you need to do some changes. <laughs> you need to drop some things. You need to go some different places. You can't be doing this stuff. But he will tell you some things. Now, here's another difference between praise and worship that might be surprising to you. But the Bible says it's okay for us to receive praise. Now, there is a danger in that, though. And I don't like anyone praising me because my head is already too big. But it is okay to receive praise. But it depends on who you receive it from. Let's look at this. 1 Corinthians 11 to Paul speaking to the Corinthians church. He says, now I praise you, brethren that he remember me in all things. They had, they had gotten a collection and they had sent a donation to him and he's, he's thanking them. He's saying, I praise you, brethren, that he remember me in all things and keep the ordinances. Also, that I, I believe you're starting to, to listen to what I told you earlier in this, uh, in this letter as I delivered them to you. So you can see that it is okay for us to receive praise as long as we don't let it get to our head. It's okay for us to receive praise from men as long as it doesn't get to our head. But the better is when it comes from God. We can receive praise from God. Romans 2.29, but he, Paul speaking about uh, the Jews said, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and true circumcision, again, is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the fulfillment of the letter of the law. And his praise, that person who is circumcised in the heart will get praise not from men, what does it say? But from God. So here's the difference between praise and worship is that we can receive praise from men. We can receive praise and blessing from God. But one thing we can never receive is worship. <laughs> we, are, we cannot. Re worship is exclusive to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The praise of men versus the praise of... It, yes, it's nice when people say great things about you and it makes us feel so good because that's our flesh. It, re, it really, you know, when people butter you up, don't tell me it doesn't feel good because I might not believe you. <laughs> but it's dangerous because you might start to believe it. But if you receive praise from God, you can certainly believe it. God won't lie to you. But here's the difference between praise and worship. We can never, ever receive or accept worship. Here's what happens when you try and accept worship. In Acts 12, 21, Herod went to this other promise province 
who he had been having some trouble with, and he made this great speech. Upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of God and not of man. This went beyond praise. This was worship because they're now calling him a God. And it wasn't 10 days later. It says, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. In Revelation 19.10, this is an angel. And John sees this angel and he says he fell at his feet, which is an act of worship. I fell at his feet to worship him and he said, see thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship who? God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And we see this. There's many other examples where Paul did so many miracles and they wanted to make him Jupiter and, and, and one of the Roman gods. He said, no, I can't do that. We can receive praise of men and praise of God, but we can never, ever receive worship. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to close this section. Then we're going to have some question and answer. Amen. I hope you have been blessed and you know now that you can worship. You can, you can have any outward show you want if it's to God's glory and it's not in the flesh. Amen. And we can praise and we can sing and we can play. But true worship comes from our heart. If you could bow your hearts with me. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Let it find good soil. Let it edify. Let it bless. Let it direct our steps. We thank you, hallelujah, as we prepare to give you worship, to give you all the praise, to acknowledge you for your greatness. And we thank you for your blessings. Lord, we ask you to be in our second service. Order every step, Lord God. Let the atmosphere be filled, hallelujah, with your anointing to break every chain. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.